Acts chapter 21 tonight. I want to particularly pay attention to the first 14 verses. So as we get started tonight, let me just share with you why I'm not spending a lot of time on verses 15 through 40, which even though in space it is the majority of the chapter, yet I think the the thing that God wanted me to focus on with you tonight was the first 14 verses. In verses 15 through 40, you have two sort of main events taking place. One is a curious thing that causes many Christians to scratch their heads as to why Paul would voluntarily uh, be part of a ritual purification of Jews in the temple. Isn't that sort of contradicting his whole thing of, you know, not works and, you know, we don't want to go back under the law and all of that. What is Paul doing here? Well, I'm going to give you a, a very simple and sort of a, a brief answer to that. First of all, and this goes along with our message tonight, I think there are things that the Holy Spirit leads us to do that may not make sense to anyone else, but it's what God wants us to do. Secondly, Paul was not involved in this ritual purification in the temple as far as a salvation thing goes. It wasn't like they thought that they were being saved through this any longer. It was more something that as a Jew, it was a way for them to sort of hang on to their identity as a Jewish person. To me, it would be no different today than even Jews and Gentiles, because I have certainly participated in something like a Seder dinner or observing a Passover meal and all the the things that go along with it as far as the significance of the herbs, the bitter herbs and all these things and reminding us of the significance of all these things and the meaning behind all of these things. That doesn't mean that we're seeking to participate in something like that in order to gain some kind of, you know, good favor with God. It's simply something that brings extra meaning to our lives. And so I think that's what's happening here. And then finally... There are times where as Christians, too, that God gives us insight into the bigger picture. And this was certainly a case where the reason I think Paul participated in this was because he and the other leaders in the church at Jerusalem saw the bigger picture here. They were trying to obviously reach out to Gentiles, but they also were trying to reach out to Jews, and they were trying to keep unity and it was just a really, really hard thing to do. And there were times where maybe they made decisions that to you and I, even looking back a couple thousand years, would go, I don't understand why they participated in that or why they did that. But there were other things at play there that we really don't fully appreciate or understand. And I think we have to let it go at that. And that's part of the reason why I'm not focusing on that. I don't think it needs to be focused on. And then finally, like with Paul a lot, uh, the hatred that was stirred up against Paul and his message in the early church was happening right here in Jerusalem, as was predicted, and they grabbed Paul and they began to beat him to death. They wanted to kill him, and finally some cooler heads prevailed. 
he was able to ask permission to speak before the crowd, and he was given permission, and that's what we're going to talk about next week in chapter 22, is basically Paul's speech before this massive crowd in Jerusalem where he's just been beaten so badly that the Bible even tells us in chapter 21 that they have to carry him to the place where he's speaking from because he can't even stand upon his legs. He's been beaten so badly. So we're going to look at that next week. So that's why I'm not really covering verses 15 through 40 this week. But I primarily was very impressed by the Spirit to talk about the first 14 verses because it, it's really a, a passage that speaks to us about the Lord's will and how you and I navigate through our Christian life the Lord's will. In fact, I want to start out actually in verse 14 where we read that they could not persuade Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. So they say, we're not going to say any more except the Lord's will be done. I want you to focus on that phrase, the Lord's will be done. That's what the first 14 verses of Acts 21 is all about. And that's really what God wants to speak to us about, finding the Lord's will in our life and learning to follow the Lord's will for our life. And I think we're going to learn some some dynamics and aspects about that as we go through this chapter tonight. But there's some other things in this chapter or in this passage that I want to point out that I think are important. In the first verse, as they are saying goodbye to their Ephesian brothers and sisters that they've called up to Miletus, before they get on the boat and begin to sail towards Jerusalem, notice the Bible says, after we had torn ourselves away. And notice the word we now. Luke, the one who wrote this book, is now with them. And so he uses we now all the time. And he says, after we tore ourselves away from them, we got on a ship and we started to make our way around all these port cities in Greece on our way to Jerusalem. That phrase, tore ourselves away from, is a reminder to us, again, about the closeness, the bond of affection that these Christians had for their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, something we don't see a lot or see as much of today as I think we should, even in the church. I mean, you can't use a phrase like torn away from each other and not understand all that that means and how connected and how knit together these believers were. So when Paul said, I don't think I'm ever going to see you again on this side of heaven, the emotion that went into that parting, you see. And again, it's just a reminder to us that our brothers and sisters in Christ, and again, I realize that, you know, we're not going to have close relationships with every brother and sister in Christ. But there should be at least a small group of believers that we feel close to that if that ever happened, if God ever called us to leave and go somewhere else, that it would literally feel like we were being ripped apart from each other. That's what that phrase means, torn away from them. Well, in the first then couple verses, again, all we're getting there is basically the different cities, the different seaports that they entered into on their way. But finally, the Bible says, 
that they get to Tyre where they were unloading cargo in verse 3. And then in verse 4, it says, after we located the disciples, we spent seven days there with them in Tyre. Let's stop there. That phrase is intriguing. Located the disciples. How do you think they located these disciples? Tyre is not a small little place. Well, a couple things come to my mind that I think, you know, is important. One is, what if some people came here to the East Valley of Phoenix that I'm looking for some disciples of Jesus Christ. And again, they don't know where to find them. Wouldn't it be great if we, like I think these people did, had such a testimony even with unbelievers that if somebody started to ask, hey, where can you find a group of disciples of Jesus Christ, they could point people to the oasis? Because that's exactly why they located these disciples. They didn't know where to find them. The word meant that they had to ask around, maybe other Christians, but maybe, again, people that weren't even Christians. They had to find where are the disciples? And then think about this. At this point in church history, there weren't these churches built yet. So Christians were many times meeting in the homes of people, and it would have been, well, those disciples of Jesus, they meet down at that house down there on the corner, you know, the cul-de-sac, whatever. But it just reminds us that God wants us, his people, to live in such a way that maybe even when people are looking for fellow disciples or fellow believers that they can find us, you know? It's even very interesting to me when I ask people, uh, because we don't do a lot of advertising and whatnot, how did you find the Oasis? And many times they'll just say, well, we were just, you know, looking around on the internet or we ran into somebody and they told us about you. And it's just crazy how God, again, can put all those pieces together and how that network can sort of work together to bring Christians together. But what I want you to note in verse 4 is after they were spending time with them, it says that they repeatedly told Paul through the Spirit, and I want you to note that phrase, through the Spirit, that he should not set foot in Jerusalem. Now the reason why this is important is what we're going to see here tonight is this. There are several times in this passage where fellow Christians were getting the right message from the Holy Spirit, but were coming to the wrong conclusion. I want you to keep that thought in mind. Because what this passage teaches us is this. You and I as Christians can sometimes get the right message from God and yet come to the wrong conclusion with that information. If it's not interpreted properly, if it's not applied properly, we can get the right information from God and yet come to a wrong conclusion. I'll, I'll come back to that, but I want you to remember verse 4. That's one of the key verses in this passage. Through the Spirit. So the idea is these Christians were getting their message for Paul from the Holy Spirit, from God, which again reminds us that one of the visions that Christ has for his church is that we would be a people in touch with the Holy Spirit and being led by the Holy Spirit and getting our messages and our understanding and our truth from the Holy Spirit so that we can even speak confidently to other Christians that this is a message from God, and it certainly was. But they came to the wrong conclusion. 
we're getting something from the Spirit, don't set foot in Jerusalem. All right. Now, we come to verse 5 and 6, and this is a, a precious scene because the Bible tells us as they were getting ready to leave Tyre and leave this group of Christians, they really hadn't known very, very long at all that all of a sudden women, children, the whole family, all, the whole family unit was gathering around this group of Christians, Luke and Paul and others in this missionary team, and they were going to follow them out to the dock where the ship was. And then the Bible gives us this really beautiful, like I said, precious scene where the Bible says after they knelt down on the beach, they began to pray. And then they basically said, you know, their goodbyes to one another. I want you to get that scene in your mind. You have this ancient seaport. You've got this ship that is, you know, docked there. It's getting ready to leave to go on to Jerusalem and carry Paul and his friends and his missionary team with him. And yet there's this group of Christians that's been entire, that they've basically spent a week together and, and pretty much done life together for a week. And even in that short amount of time, there's been this, these precious maybe friendships and relationships that started. And you get this idea that as they go out there, they've turned this beach into a, a place of worship, into holy ground. And they are consecrating this part of the beach, in a sense, for this particular period of time to God. And all these Christians now are kneeling on the beach, men, women, children, all of them, and they're praying. I thought, what a great reminder to us that God wants us as his children under his authority to claim places that maybe we wouldn't even think of as places of worship and as holy ground. In other words, everywhere you and I go, we can look at environments that way. I mean, isn't that the way we've treated, we treated Basha High School for all those years, that that was a public high school, but when you and I met there several times a week, that was, that was set apart to God, that was set apart by God, that became holy ground, that was now a place of worship, that was a place of fellowship of believers, that was a place where the word of God was going to be taught, and it became special because God's people were there and God was meeting with them and there was this dynamic that was happening there. And what we are seeing now in Acts 21 is even on a beach, you know, some, some uh, place right there by the ocean can now be turned into, if you will, a sanctuary for God as believers gather together, kneel down and pray with one another before they say their goodbye. Again, it's just, it's a good reminder to us that no matter where you and I go, wherever our feet go, we can turn those places into basically worship places. I mean, if you'd see someday, uh, some days I look around at the coffee shop in Gilbert when I'm there, and I'm literally looking around at all the tables, and there's Bibles open on every table. And there's Christian conversations taking place. And even though that's a public place, it's a public restaurant. Anybody can be there. There are many days where I'm there, and it's like, this is like church. You know, you got people doing ministry together, and you got people doing Bible study together, and you got, I mean, there's all, all kinds of things going on there. 
And it's just a really good reminder. So I want you to, to remember at times this scene from Acts 21. I want you to get in your mind, there's this group of Christians. We don't know how large it was, but it was probably a pretty big group kneeling together on a beach and they were praying before they said goodbye. Well, then the Bible tells us they got on the boat in Tyre and they were starting to go towards Jerusalem. They spent a day at one of the seaports and then they got back into the boat and they were headed to Caesarea. And in verse 8, when they got to Caesarea, they were welcomed into the home of Philip the Evangelist, one of the original seven deacons that we met all the way back at the beginning of the book of Acts and probably the most famous one of those besides Philip would have been Stephen who was stoned. And so they were welcomed into Philip's home and then the Bible tells us that they've stayed there for several days in Caesarea. They have not left yet for Jerusalem. And while they were there, this prophet, verse 10, named Agabus, comes down from Judea. And just like the Old Testament prophets, like Ezekiel and, and uh, Jeremiah, who didn't just speak forth the, the message from God, they literally acted it out. That was sort of the, the vein that this Agabus was in. He comes down to Caesarea. He finds one of Paul's belts. The Bible says he ties Paul's belt around his own feet and his own hands, and he makes this prophecy. He says, this is what the Spirit says. I want you to note that, okay? Second time we've now sort of heard that phrase. Back up in verse 4, the Christians in Tyre were telling Paul through the Spirit, do not set foot in Jerusalem. Now you have this prophet Agabus who comes to Caesarea, ties himself up, and says, the Holy Spirit says this. The, Jeru the Jews in Jerusalem will tie up the man whose belt this is and will hand him over to the Gentiles. So again... You have this Christian prophet who is very confident in his message from the Holy Spirit. He's not saying Agabus said that. No, he's saying the Holy Spirit gave me this message, okay? And it's the right message. It's exactly what happened. But now again, I want you to see just like the Christians back in Tyre who got the right message from the Holy Spirit but came to the wrong conclusion telling Paul, do not set foot in Jerusalem. Now notice what Paul's companions and the locals begin to tell Paul after that. It says, when they heard this, when we heard this, verse 12, we and all the local people began to beg Paul, do not go to Jerusalem. So what you have in these verses, is two times now in this passage where people were getting messages from the Holy Spirit and yet they were then sending this message on to Paul. Paul, we've gotten this message from God. Don't do this. Don't do this. Now notice Paul's reply. And this is key. And then we're going to go back and share some other verses around this. Paul replied to them, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready. Wow. I, I, those three words are huge, and we'll come back to those in just a minute. I am ready. 
Paul says, I am ready not only to be tied up, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of our Lord Jesus. Not just for anything. Not just to be a martyr for martyr's sake. But if it is for the name of the Lord Jesus, I'm willing to do whatever, including laying down my life. If it means bringing glory to God, if it means advancing the kingdom of God, if it is in the plan of God that my death in Jerusalem will somehow reach other people or advance his kingdom in some way, that this is part of his plan and will for my life, then Paul said, so be it. I'm ready. I'm ready. Now, let's talk for a few moments about this very important dynamic here of getting a right message from God but coming to a wrong conclusion. And the reason I say that is because, as I said, we've seen it twice in this passage. There were, in a sense, prophecies or messages from the Holy Spirit about Paul, and yet some of the Christians surrounding Paul were then using that information, coming to a wrong conclusion, trying to discourage Paul from going to Jerusalem. And the reason this is so important is because, again, what it tells us is sometimes as Christians, we have to be careful. We can be getting the right message from the Holy Spirit or from God, but coming to a wrong conclusion. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, how do you prevent that? Well, not only being open to the message of the Holy Spirit, but being truly open to his leading. And that's where Paul was. You see, let me take you all the way back to Paul's conversion. In Acts chapter 19, verse 16, this is what God said to Paul that was recorded in Scripture. I, God, will show him, Paul, how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Acts 9, excuse me, Acts chapter 9, verse 16. I, God, will show Paul how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Paul knew from the very beginning of his conversion I'm going to have to suffer. Suffering is going to be part of my lot. And here's why that's important. Down through church history, or even from the time man walked with God, there is this faulty reasoning that the will of God and suffering somehow are incompatible. That if it's God's will, then suffering can't be a part of it. When many times, like with Paul, no. The will of God and suffering actually go together. That is God's will, you see. And so many Christians today are buying into that, you know, the health, wealth, like if, if you're following God, you'll, you know, you'll never be sick, you'll never have to suffer, you'll never go through any... It's like, again, coming to wrong conclusions from sometimes... Scripture verses, just like these people are doing. Well, what they heard was what the Holy Spirit had warned Paul about we saw last week, where we said, Paul says in Acts 20, 22, I am now compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Acts chapter 20, verse 22. The word compelled is a very important word. It means that Paul is saying... I'm not only bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, 
I'm literally bound to the Spirit. I'm like tied to the Holy Spirit. And so I'm just following the Holy Spirit in my life where he's taking me. And he's taking me to Jerusalem. Now again, other Christians around him are, are hearing what is going to happen to him once he gets there, and they're telling him, don't go. And yet, he's like, you don't understand. This is where God wants me to go. And isn't this a beautiful picture and parallel of if you follow the footsteps of Paul, is he not, in a, in a very similar way, walking in the footsteps of our Savior, Jesus? He's going to Jerusalem. Guess what's going to happen to him there? You see what I'm saying? And it's the same thing like Peter. You know, God, it, it can't be your will for you to be crucified and to die on a cross. That, that can't be God's will. So I'm going to try to discourage you and talk you out of it. And remember what Jesus said? Get behind me, Satan. That conclusion is not of God. That is coming from the very pit of hell. See, right information, Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem and die on a cross. Wrong conclusion. He shouldn't go. He shouldn't go. And they're doing the same thing with Paul. Oh, my goodness, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to suffer. And Paul's like, I get it. I've known I'm going to have to suffer since I became a Christian. It's part of God's will for my life. Don't discourage me. I'm literally tied to the Holy Spirit. I'm just following what the Holy Spirit wants me to do. So this is a good reminder that we as Christians have to be careful when we're counseling other Christians or advising other Christians or trying to, you know, speak truth into other Christians' lives, that we're not doing the same thing sometimes to them that these Christians were doing to Paul by getting a message from God but coming to the wrong conclusion about it. Because maybe it is God's will. And sometimes it's only us and God that know. And that's why sometimes as a Christian, just like with Paul, we've got to go alone. We, we've got to go it alone. No one else will understand but us that this is what God wants me to do. And everybody else may have a problem with it. And the sad thing is, it's not the world that's going to have the problem with it many times. It's our fellow Christians that's going to look at us and scratch our heads and go, why is Paul going to Jerusalem? Why is Jeff making that choice? Why is he doing that that way? Well, because I'm bound to the Spirit, and this is what the Spirit is leading me to do. And maybe it doesn't make any sense to you, but it's what God wants for me, you see. That's why this passage is so important, and this is why I think God wanted me to settle in on these 14 verses, because there's a lot of stuff going on here, especially dealing with God's will, you see, in our lives. So, after they tried to discourage him, he says, I'm ready. He said, I'm ready not only to be bound, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So, again, verse 14, where we started. 
Because they could not persuade Paul any differently, they come to the conclusion that all they can say is, the Lord's will be done. Which, ultimately, that's the way it should be. Going back to Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. Not my will, but thine be done. That's the ultimate. That's the bottom line. And what I'm going to try to encourage all of us with tonight is this. There may be times in our life that we're in a place or a position like Paul. It won't maybe be a lot of times, but keep this passage in mind. There may be times where the Holy Spirit is leading you, guiding you, directing you. Literally, you are tied to him and you're just following him and nobody else gets it. Nobody else understands. Nobody else is supporting the idea, but you know it's the pathway that the Holy Spirit has for you. Do we have the spiritual strength and stamina at that moment to sort of go it alone even though everyone around us is telling us something different? That's one of the keys to this entire passage. And then the other one is simply this. To be careful as a Christian that like we've seen in this passage, I can get the right message from the Holy Spirit or from God and yet come to the wrong conclusion about it when I try to apply it to my life or somebody else's life. But I want to go back to those three words that are so important that Paul says, I am ready. Literally in the original language, it means I'm in a constant state of readiness. I love that. that that's such a great sort of challenge for all of us. Are we in a continual state of readiness, meaning that no matter what God's will is, no matter what he taps me to do at this moment, sort of what Paul even said to Timothy about being in season and ready in season and out of season, in a sense, always in a state of readiness, so that when God moves me to do something or to say something, I'm ready. I'm always in a state of, it's not like I've got to, you know, go through all this, that I'm constantly staying in fellowship with God, I'm staying in communion with God, I'm staying close to God so that God can tap me at any moment, he can move me in any direction, and I'll be ready. Paul said the same thing to the Romans when he said, I'm ready to come to Rome and preach the gospel. Paul was always living in a constant state of readiness. How did he get there? What gave Paul that constant state of readiness. I want to give you five things in closing tonight that I think gets us there, gets us there. The first is this, and this applies to this passage of Scripture as well. Paul knew, as we should know, that whatever God's will is, whatever God asks us to do, we never go it alone. We always have the presence of God with us. Presence of God. Put your... That's huge. The presence of God will always go with us when we are following his will and following the leading of the Spirit. You always have the presence of God with you. Always. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, like with Paul, but you're going to have the presence of God with you even if you're tied up, even if death comes. God will be with us. Second, we have the power of God with us. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I not only as a Christian have the presence of God with me, 
I have the power of God to be able to do whatever God is asking me to, to do, even the hardest, difficult thing, whatever it is, if it's his will, he will enable me through his presence and through his power to do it. And that's what Paul was counting on. But there's a couple other things here. I think Paul always had in mind the teaching of Jesus, which is, if you're going to be my disciple and you're going to follow me, then you and I have to wake up every day with the mindset, I've got to what? Take up my cross daily and follow. I've got to die to self. I've got to lay self aside in order to be a faithful follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. Do we, are we conscious of that? Taking up our cross daily and following the Lord. That's why Paul was always ready. Because Paul was never like, I don't have a cross. No, Paul's like, I have a cross. I need to die to self today just like I need to die to self every day. And so it was never about Paul. It was always about Christ. So there's the presence of God. There's the power of God. There's the cross that you and I have to take up. And then there's what I call the law of the harvest that Paul lived by. The law of the harvest. It's found in John's gospel, chapter 12, I believe verse 25, if my memory serves me correctly, where Jesus says this, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. That's the law of the harvest. In other words, again, sort of that willing to sacrifice. Jesus said, if the grain is not willing to die and go into the ground, it remains alone. But if it's willing to die, if it's willing to sacrifice, it produces much grain. See, that's how God can use our lives to truly impact and influence others is through selfless sacrifice. And Paul not only lived by taking up his cross daily, but also keeping the law of the harvest in mind. It's not about me. It's about sacrifice for the sake of Christ and for others, putting others and putting the cause of Christ ahead of myself, dying to self every day, selfless sacrifice. And then finally, we know from Paul's own lips, he lived by this philosophy of, of life or living, Philippians 1.21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So when Paul said, I'm ready to go to Jerusalem and I'm ready to be bound, but I'm also ready to die if that's the Lord's will, it's because that's the philosophy he lived by every day. To live is Christ, to die is gain. If they kill me, I'm going to, to glory for all of eternity. It only gets better. If God doesn't see any need for me to continue to be here on earth to, to do what he's called me to do, and he's going to call me home, that's a promotion. So when Paul says, I'm ready, I'm ready, there were some major foundational things behind that or underneath that statement, because there has to be. Again, like I said Sunday, Human beings, we can claim anything. We can profess anything. Yeah, I'll die for Jesus or I'll, I'll go here for Jesus or I'll do this for Jesus. We all can do that. But 
to actually do it, there has to be a solid, spiritual, deep foundation underneath all of that that supports that way of living, to be ready at all times like Paul. And I think these are the things that really influenced Paul every day to get to a place where he made that statement, I'm ready. I think the question that we can all just, again, be challenged with is, how about us? Are we ready? And, and folks, I'm not talking about ready necessarily to die. I'm just talking about, are we ready for whatever the next thing is God has for us in his will? Because that's what we're talking about here tonight. For Paul, yeah, it was coming to the end of his life. And, but for us, it's just, what is God's will? And as I am bound by the Spirit, literally tied to the Spirit, wherever the Spirit is leading me, that's where I got to go. Am I ready to go with the Spirit? Or huh, am I like, no, no, no. Quench the Spirit. Grieve the Spirit. I'm not, I'm not ready. I'm not going. I'm unwilling, whatever. God wants to see his church and his people in a place just like Paul was, that no matter what God was asking us to do, no ma matter what God was calling us to do, no matter what his will for us was, we could say the same thing that Paul said. I am ready. Let's close in prayer. God, we thank you tonight for Paul and for all of these great believers, Lord, that lived out their faith as we talked about on Sunday. They didn't just claim to believe in you and trust in you. They put their trust and belief and faith in you every day of their lives. They were willing to lay their own lives aside for the sake of Christ and his gospel and his people. God, I pray that we could strive for that level of commitment and devotion in our lives as Christians today. That God, like Paul, we could say sincerely and genuinely to our God, God, I'm ready. Whatever it is you have for me next in my life, in this life, whatever plan or purpose you have for me, God, I'm, I'm ready. Because I know, I know that your presence will go with me. I know that your power is inside of me. I know that I must, to be a faithful follower of yours, take up my cross daily and follow you. I know that unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But God, if I want my life to count, if I want you to use my life to make an impact in this world, if I want you to use me to influence others for you, I've got to be willing to sacrifice myself and go into the ground and die so that much grain can be produced. And God, I've got to live by the philosophy that to live is Christ and to die is gain. God, would you remind us of the precious truth of this passage of Scripture tonight? And God, may all of us come to the conclusion that these believers in Caesarea came to before they set foot for Jerusalem, which was because Paul could not be persuaded, we could say nothing except 
the Lord's will be done. God, we pray that that would be true in our lives and in the life of our church. That God, more than anything else, we want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, take us home tonight. Bring us back on Sunday that we might be together again as your people. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll see you on Sunday.